Today is a special presentation of Chatter That Matters, and one that honors Earth Day. Let me take you back to 1970 and when it all began. This planet is threatened with destruction, and we who live in it with death. The heavens reek, the waters below are foul, children die in infancy, and we and the world, which is our home, live on the brink of nuclear annihilation. We are in a crisis of survival. Earth Day, a question of survival, with CBS News correspondent Walter Cronkite. Good evening. A unique day in American history is ending, a day set aside for a nationwide outpouring of mankind seeking its own survival. Earth Day. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. So how did this all begin? With two events. And they not only shaped this concept of Earth Day, they shaped the modern environmental movement. Do you think they hear us? We will make them hear us. To see a car spewing leaded gas into the atmosphere, Industry belching and leaking with little concern for prosecution. Litter thrown out of a car window to rot along the sides of highways and roads. That was the American industrial machine that found its teeth arming its allies and its own armies in World War II. Air pollution, its color and its stink were considered a badge of the world's new superpower. And humans, we failed to make a meaningful connection between how we're all connected and codependent that the poison seeping into the ground would also seep into our bloodstreams. So what were those two events that led to the creation of Earth Day? The first was a book titled Silent Spring, a New York Times bestseller written by Rachel Carson. More than 500,000 copies were sold in 24 countries, and it raised awareness to the dangers of synthetic pesticides, the aerial spraying of DDT and other pesticides mixed with fuel oil, what it was doing to our environment, to the organisms, and to human health. And man, it was met by fierce opposition by the chemical companies, but its narrative struck a powerful chord with voters and the politicians who depend on them. And it evoked change in the banning of many of these practices. And in 2006, Silent Spring was named one of the 25 best science books of all time. A second event happened in January 1969 near the city of Santa Barbara, Southern California. I've been there. It is paradise. January 1969 due to some sloppy construction and even sloppier permitting, an oil well went off the coast of Santa Barbara, and they experienced a massive blowout. Um, what we found was shocking. The oil kept coming. It was very heavy, black. Uh, in time, um, the water was all black. The ocean was dead. It was an uh, incredible sight. Here we are at Santa Barbara's once beautiful harbor, how serious is the oil situation? It, it has really deteriorated. It's a, a bad situation. It's a complete mess throughout the, the marinas and uh, has affected uh, every boat in the harbor. It was the largest oil spill in the States at that time and now ranks third after Deepwater Horizon in 2010 and Exxon Valdez in 1989. It still remains the largest oil spill to have occurred in the waters of California killing an estimated 3,500 seabirds, marine animals, dolphins, elephant seals, sea lions. And the public outrage endangered by the spill received prominent media coverage in the United States and around the world, and it resulted in numerous pieces of environmental legislation. 
and the framework for the modern environmental movement in the United States. 2021 and another Earth Day. Has the world become fatigued by this day? Or is it still our North Star that points us to doing what must be done to sustain our planet and all the creatures that inhabit it? Hi, it's Tony Chapman. I'm the host of Chatter That Matters, thanks to the generous support of RBC. My show, I chat with ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things despite life circumstances. In doing so, we garner their life lessons that inspire us to do more and to be more, to help us get to where we need, deserve, and want to go. Today's show is a special on Earth Day. I'm not here to debate climate change or to light up the text board with people who accept or deny. I'm there to share stories of different people who are doing their part to make sustainability a matter of choice, not chance. Wade Barnes is the CEO of Farmer's Edge, a Canadian-based, globally renowned technology company passionate about leading the next agricultural revolution by developing data-driven technologies that help farmers run in an efficient way, help them feed a growing population, and more importantly, as you'll learn, also find a way to use agricultural land to trap carbon from the atmosphere. Michael McCain is the CEO of Maple Leaf Foods. Michael will be appearing later in the season on Chat That Matters. This entire story is worth sharing. But today we chat about why sustainability matters most to the Maple Leaf organization. And then Megan Leslie, president and CEO of WWF Canada. Their work to conserve species at risk, protect threatened habitats and address climate change is extraordinary. And their long-term vision is simple, create a world where nature and people thrive. Michael McCain is the CEO of Maple Leaf Foods, and Michael will be joining me later in the season on Chatter That Matters. Why? He's a leader that I admire on so many fronts, and his story is one worth sharing. But today I want to talk about one aspect of Maple Leaf's business, and that's sustainability. But to put it in focus, first you have to put their business in focus. They're a Canadian company competing against the biggest food companies in the world, And they're also competing in Canada, where most of the retail groceries controlled by a handful of players. It's a tough place to be in. It really is survival the fittest, the fastest, and the most efficient. And in turn, Michael also depends on the loyalty of his shareholders who expect to see an investment grow in value. So that's a lot of pressure. But Michael McCain believes there's a higher purpose than just profit or satisfying the demands of retailers or even consumers. Maple Leaf Foods is on a quest to become the most sustainable protein company on Earth. Not Canada, not against the best in North America, but planet Earth. I've known Michael for over two decades. The easiest way to describe Michael is he says what he means and means what he says. Just go to his website, doing things like better food, taking away all the nasty ingredients, more natural and better for you. Better animal welfare. They want to be industry leading. They're working with communities to improve food security, all measured and all transparent. What really stands out is Maple Leaf Foods is carbon neutral, the first major food company in the world. And they're just starting to go after this. By 2025, they plan to reduce their environmental footprint by 50%. That means reducing food waste, water usage, electricity, more sustainable packaging. It's not just a a strategy. It encompasses an enterprise-wide view that this is what we're all about. So I asked Michael McCain to first talk about how he balances profit with this higher purpose, sustainability. That has become a very purposeful journey for all of our uh, teammates, uh, myself included. And it starts with a belief system, uh, as you've articulated, that that we are in this for shared value, not shareholder value. And there's an important distinction. Shared value recognizes that there are many stakeholders in this business. Shareholders are one of them, 
an important one, and we do care and will care for the enduring value creation of shareholders, like all stakeholders, but they, it, it, uh, the belief system around shared value explicitly rejects the primacy of shareholder value and says our job and our future is based on a balanced view of all the stakeholders and our ability to create enduring value for all of those stakeholders in balance, including the environment and protecting the resources that we've been entrusted to in our lives. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it's an, it is an important lens. I think it's a lens, uh, Tony, that uh, is kind of defines the future of what uh, capitalism and, and uh, the enterprise looks like 20 years from now. Can you imagine if our political leaders or academic and business leaders Imagine if you and I applied the same lens and not only focused on what's in it for me, but what's in it for all stakeholders, what's in it for planet Earth. How, how would that impact how you think, feel, and how you behave? Michael McCain, you inspire me, and I'm looking forward to sharing your entire story on an upcoming Chatter That Matters. Yeah, well, thank you, Tony. It's always, it's always, we go back a long way and uh, lots of uh, memories together. And uh, we, we, I think we both come from the same ilk of work hard, play hard, and we've had a lot of play in the middle of all that work too, Tony. So uh, admire, admire you and uh, in, in all those ways, and I really appreciate the time to chat today. So thank you. Coming up next is Megan Leslie. It's a segment you want to hear. Megan's the president and chief executive officer of World Wildlife Fund Canada. She's got some incredible ideas on how we can improve the habitat for all living creatures. And it begins in your backyard. You're listening to Chatter That Matters. I'm Tony Chapman. We'll be right back. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman will return in a moment on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Destroying nature ultimately destroys all of us. Together, this demonstration and this message today is one about sustainability about a good future for all of us in a world that is sustainable for all of us. Thank you very much. Each week, you can download the latest episode of Chatter That Matters as a podcast from your iHeartRadio Canada app. Now more with Tony Chapman. Presented by RBC. Joining me now on Chatter That Matters is Megan Leslie from WWF Canada. Megan's life has been dedicated to making this planet a better place for every living creature. She's passionate, she's consumed, she's driven, she's the CEO for an incredible reason, and she's joining me today to talk a little bit about what we can all do to really focus on that this is one planet, and that planet deserves the respect of every living creature. Megan, thanks for joining Chatter That Matters. Oh, Tony, those are some pretty kind words. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. So WWF Canada, what, what's your vision? What's, what, is it, what do you to accomplish with all the work that you and your team do? Well, let me, let me try and sum it up in a nutshell. So we're the World Wildlife Fund. Wildlife's our middle name. And we're looking at how wildlife is doing in Canada. Are they stable? Are they populations on the decline? And we want to be able to bring back wildlife, ensure that, you know what, our vision for the future is a Canada with abundant wildlife where nature and people thrive. So if that's our vision to have this, this Canada full of wildlife, what's the deal right now? Well, 
WWF Canada, we put out this report every few years called the Living Planet Report Canada, where we measure wildlife populations all across the country. And you might think, hey, we're really big. We got all this coastline and all these big landscapes. Surely wildlife loss isn't an issue here in Canada. Well, it is. Our report showed that half of wildlife populations in Canada are on the decline. Species that are listed as species at risk. So the species we should really be paying attention to because they're at risk of extinction. They're on the decline to the tune of 83%. So we're working at WWF to bring those wildlife populations back. You're marching against increased population, demand uh, for natural resources. How do you make sure that your voice and the voice of wildlife is at the table? One of the biggest strengths that we have at WWF Canada is we are a part of an, a global network of WWF. Folks at home can't see me, but I'm holding up a mug with the panda logo on it. And people can kind of imagine that panda logo. I think that actually really helps us open doors. You know, the power of that global network gets us in those rooms where the decision makers are and we can use our voice in a really effective way. So so making sure we're at the different tables of decision making, but also, I mean, all of us as individual human beings, we can take conservation actions. So we we can also talk to people about what they can do as individuals. We have a lot of scientific credentials so we can work in community and bring our technical expertise. There's lots of different ways that we can do it. And I think being part of that global network is helpful. The fact that we are over 50 years old in Canada, so we've got this long history, we have some credibility, and um, I do find that people want to work with us, which is wonderful. When you talk about what we can do as individuals, Give us some tips so that we can start applying, not just for the day, not just for the week, but something that we can putting into our behavior that's that really so that every individual does their part, the collective energy will be something that we can be so proud about. If I can suggest one thing to help help anyone figure out what we need to do, look around you and think about how this space that you are in is habitat. Because the whole planet is habitat. So so our houses are in habitat, our businesses are in habitat, our highways are in habitat. And you start to realize, oh, we're really encroaching in habitat. And that's what wildlife needs. One of the biggest threats to wildlife loss is a loss of habitat. So if you start using that lens of looking at everything around you, your schoolyard, your, your work parking lot, this is all habitat. What can you do to bring some of that habitat back? Uh, let's say you live in an apartment building and you've got a balcony. Do you know that pollinators can go up to six stories high? So could you plant some pollinator uh, flowers, some uh, pollinator garden in containers on your balcony? I mean, that's a really simple thing. Think about the schoolyard where your kids go to school. Can you work with other parents to maybe look at the schoolyard and how you could restore some of the habitat in that schoolyard that would let kids play in nature and also be habitat. Are you part of a, a faith group where you have a mosque or a, or a church and there's, there's landscape there that you could think about habitat at work? You know, there's so many parking lots at the back of the parking lot. There's like a ditch or something in the back. That might have been wetland. Can you carve off a couple of spaces with your coworkers and think about, hey, let's Let's restore that for, for frogs, for salamanders. You can see how I'm, I'm building more and more collective action from your balcony to your kid's schoolyard to your workplace. 
maybe your municipality, maybe you can inspire your municipality to turn the parks, restore them to habitat so that the wildlife can enjoy that place and we can enjoy that place. This is the future I'm talking about where nature, people, wildlife are all thriving. Megan, one of the things I want to chat with you about is the incredible work you're doing bringing in the indigenous values and practices. So that's a combination sort of the science and the, the history of our place. How is that working for you? Oh, thanks for that question. Um, this is so integral to our work. I mean, there's been an old way of looking at things, I think, in conservation where science, science is the answer. Science is going to save us and nothing can live up to, or measure up to science. Well, I don't believe in that at all. I think there is so much Indigenous knowledge, Indigenous science, Indigenous ways of knowing about our landscapes, our seascapes. Indigenous peoples have, in Canada in particular, because um, that's the area I know the best, Indigenous peoples have been not just in these landscapes, but stewarding them, managing them for hundreds and hundreds of years. There's so much knowledge. So how do we take the best of what Western science has to offer and combine it with traditional knowledge, traditional ecological knowledge for the best conservation outcomes? And you, you know what, Tony, there are there is some good evidence. There's some good studies out there that demonstrate that Indigenous protected areas and areas that are under Indigenous stewardship are more species rich than other protected areas. So like, we're getting it wrong. <laughs> and I really think we need to look to Indigenous leadership and think about how we can support Indigenous-led conservation. Although there seems to still be a few deniers, I would say the vast majority of people are very concerned about climate change. Is there a role that nature can play to be to counter what's happening to our planet? Oh my gosh, yes. You know, I, I just learned this a couple of years ago, but when we look at global greenhouse gas emissions, a third, so one third of those emissions come from nature. What do I mean by that? When we dig up peatlands, when we destroy wetlands to put houses over them, we build on coastlines, we, uh, you know, put put our roads through grasslands, we're taking carbon that is in the soil. We all, we all kind of know there's carbon in trees, right? We were taught that in school. There's carbon not just in trees, it's in the whole ecosystem. It's in the roots and the grasses and it's right down into the soil. So when we develop a wetland, we are taking all that carbon that's in the soil and putting it into the atmosphere. So a third of our global emissions come from that destruction of nature. Think about that in the reverse. What if we started restoring wetlands, restoring grasslands to those native species, which, hey, plug for the habitat. It's also habitat. We, we actually think at WWF Canada, we've run the numbers, we're, we can reach a third of our Paris targets just through the restoration of nature. So nature-based climate solutions is a phrase people are hearing a little bit about. That's what that means, actually turning to nature to help us fight climate change and at the same time, restore habitat. It's a win-win. You know, what I learned from you today, which I love, is first of all, start small, but let that ripple. And then the more individuals become families, become communities, become the place of worship, the fact is that we can all put a dent in it. Second thing that I, I truly love is the fact that you're open-minded. You're not just coming in with science credentials. You're looking at practices from the Indigenous people. You're looking at the statistics there. They're saying they're doing things right. And the third thing is that we can solve problems and create beauty at the same time. The fact that nature and restoring nature can also restore our planet. 
Megan Leslie, it has been an honor to chat with you on Chatter That Matters. Thank you so much for having me and happy Earth Day, everyone. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman will return in a moment on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. A big shout out to the RBC Climate Blueprint. It's a coordinated strategy designed to accelerate clean economic growth, and it includes providing $500 billion in sustainable financing by 2025. Net zero matters to RBC. We are doing this to wake the leaders up. We are doing this to get them to act. We deserve a safe future. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman continues on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, presented by RBC. One of the words that matters most in this Earth Day special is the word sustainability. And the real essential question is, can we sustain the growth of the human population while sustaining planet Earth? By 2050, our population could top 10 billion. And experts are saying we're going to have to double our food output. But there just isn't that much farmable land. So we're going to have to do more and less, more productivity, more yield, with less impact on the environment. Well, joining me today is one of the top thinkers on more and less when it comes to agriculture. He's a Canadian. His name's Wade Barnes. He's the CEO of Farmer's Edge. And they provide digital solutions to farmers that not only mitigate risk, but allow them to be much more precise in terms of what they put in the ground and the soil and what they get out. Wade Barnes, welcome to uh, Chatter That Matters. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Wade, I first heard you at a Tech Manitoba conference that I was hosting, and I was blown away by your story. 2005, how you started using satellite imagery to help guide farmers in terms of where they should plant and why. Tell me more about your story. Yeah, we know we got started. I like to tell the story that I I used to work for a fertilizer company and uh, we implemented this really cool technology. And uh, what we were able to find out is that we were able to increase yields with less fertilizer. And I got super excited about it. Farmers got super excited. And then my boss came to me one day and said, hey, kid, uh, you get paid to sell fertilizer and you're selling uh, our customers less. And I said, look, I I mean, I I get it. But I said, you know, farmers have stopped asking the price of fertilizer and he they just couldn't quite get their head wrapped around that and so I like to tell people that I, I became unhired from that company and that's really what started Farmer's Edge and you know we just really connected the dots for farmers around the technology that was really embedded inside their tractor cab but then we started to understand the byproduct of all this was data and information and then I really had a light bulb moment and said look data is going to change everything you know information is going to help the farmer make those critical decisions that he makes every day. Maybe it's the movies, but I always see farmers as as about practicing their craft and passing their lessons on from one generation to another. You show up with these digital solutions. How receptive were they to looking at a whole new way of farming? So I would say in the early days, not super receptive, but, but that's generally, you know, new technology 
takes a little bit to get a farmer interested, but man, you know, there is the reality is that farmers will adopt really quickly if you show them a value proposition. And I saw that when we, when Roundup Ready Crops um, came into the market, one of the things that farmers are looking for in the digital space is show me how this improves uh, my farm. And I think that's what's really important for companies like Farmers Edge or anybody that's advancing in digital is to be able to showcase that value. And once you do, Oh yeah, they're business people. They'll they'll jump on it. So you went from satellites and using external technology to more and more bringing technology to the farmer to create these digital solutions. What was the benefit? It's the ability of of getting you know that that field centric data. That that's what's critical. That's what really powers all the analytics and the algorithms. And so once we are able to master that about getting information from the field into the cloud, and then being able to serve it back to the grower, that really changed things for us. And then um, you know the industry is in flux. You know agriculture is being disrupted by technology, and then channel partners started to realize how important that was. And so they were looking for a partner that could really sort of flick the lights on for them. And, and then, you know, we got involved with Case New Holland and Richardson's International, and that really sort of moved the business along and enabled us to get the scale that we needed to go public. I introduced you by talking about this planet, 10 billion people, double the food output, farmers needed to do much more with less impact in the environment. Are growers and farmers capable of doing that? And if so, what's it going to take? Well, a big part of that is scaling up the farm talent. You know, as much as land is is, is a limited resource, farming talent is a limited resource because that's passed on from generation to generation. As these family farms scale up, they become pretty fast moving businesses. And all other sectors of the economy use data and information to help make those decisions. And, and farmers have never been able to utilize that. And, and farming's a volatile business because of weather. And if you can help them make a decision that actually smooths out the volatility, that's huge. And then if that opens the door to other opportunities, and I, and I think, you know, Canada has this amazing opportunity to digitalize agriculture. And when you digitalize agriculture, what it does is you create this transparency, this connectivity to the consumer that not many countries, not any countries have. And Canada could be a leader in that. And once you connect to that consumer and that consumer can get confidence and comfort that the food that they're producing has been grown in a, in a sustainable way, I can guarantee you that, that the majority of farmers out there are very sustainable because it's good business. They just, they're just not very good at telling the story. And they're not good at telling the story to the people who are their customers. They think that the customers are the grain companies and it's not. The customers are the people that are buying the bread at the grocery store and they got to do a better job as farmers. And I'm one of them of telling our story. And I think the technology and data is going to enable them to do that. When you travel around the world, What's the Canadian brand like when it comes to farming and sustainability? So, so Canada's thought of as a leader all around in markets that I go to and I, I spend time in, in Russia or Ukraine, you know, they, they know that you're a Canadian. That, that's, you know, you're thought of as an agricultural leader. Um, you know, we, we Canadian farmers do stuff that most other countries can't. We plant and harvest a crop in an unbelievably tight window with some of the most adverse conditions. 
Um, I, I think the the opportunity is you know to be that world leader to 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 grow more more sustainably, um, and then again that 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 connectivity and that traceability to the consumer. And um, I, I think it's a it's a unique potential that 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 we could harness here. But we just uh, um, don't these opportunities in the digital space are always time limited, and if you're not taking advantage of it, somebody else will. And I can tell you, you know. The Brazilians, they're moving very quickly, a very innovative culture. Um, you know, they're, they're really focused on ag technology and, you know, and, and, you know, we're really active in that market as well. And so we're excited about it because we think there's opportunities that we can take from different markets and really build this global solution that can be a fit for everyone. This Thursday special is about sustainability. And one of the things we're dealing with as a planet is the amount of carbon in our atmosphere. And a lot of fingers have been pointing at agriculture in terms of the carbon it creates. But you and Farmer's Edge have a different point of view. You believe that it's an opportunity for farmers to not only reduce the amount of carbon, but actually store more carbon in the fields. Tell me why you're bullish on farming as a solution versus a problem. Yeah, you know, you're 100% right. Farmers and agriculture, um, you know, they get a lot of fingers pointed at them, but they're not the problem. They are the solution, you know, whether it be using precision technologies to, to precisely place fertilizer in the right spots. You know, nitrous oxide is a byproduct of fertilizer application. It can be 300 times more potent uh, than carbon dioxide, but farmers can reduce that dramatically by being precise with fertilizer. And many of them are doing it again, they're not telling that story and whether it be no till where you can sequester carbon or cover crops. And so, you know, but a big part of that is, is, you know, farmers being able to communicate that, but also validate it and give trust into the system. And so our strategy, we're going out working with growers creating carbon offsets, um, being able to utilize that data to, to be, you know, the highest quality carbon offsets. And so that we can then go out and sell that, those carbon offsets to um, other groups uh, around the world in other industries. And so thus the farmers are going to be leading in that. Now there's another whole L element of that is that the consumers want to know that if they're buying bread, was that bread grown in the most sustainable way? And if those farmers can do that and showcase, they're going to create a lot more value for them. And then it's going to create value for lots of generations. Cause I can tell you that, that, that farmers are really focused on passing that farmland down. The, the number one thing that a farmer doesn't want to have is that their name be attached to somebody else that rents that land. And, and every farmer has that. Uh, I'm renting so like that farm over there that used to belong to this family. They don't want that to be the case. They want to pass that land from generation to generation. That's really important to them culturally. And, and, uh, and we want to be a part of that. Subscribe to Chatter That Matters wherever you get your podcasts. My conversation with Wade Barnes will continue right after this. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman will return in a moment on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. I want to take a moment to tell you about one of my favorite shows. It's Disruptors. It's an RBC podcast. It's hosted by someone I've known for years, best-selling author and thought leader, John Stackhouse. Disruptors is an exciting new episode, the first in a two-part series on the creativity economy. It features a dynamic and inspirational array of guests, including Jill Moore from the legendary rock band Triumph, Sarah Diamond from OCAD University, and Daniel Lamar, the CEO of Cirque du Soleil. Be sure to check out part two of this series, featuring Lululemon, Shopify, Ubisoft, and more. 
And make sure to follow Disruptors and RBC Podcast wherever you like to listen. Chatter that matters with Tony Chapman continues on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. Joining me now on Chatter That Matters is Wade Barnes. He's the CEO of Farmer's Edge, a Canadian-based but global leader providing digital solutions to farmers and growers. What they do is they help them get more with less, more productivity, more yield, with less impact on the environment. Wade, do you see Farmer's Edge evolving to the point where farmers will improve the overall value of their farm because they have a stamp of approval by following your methodology and science? Yeah, I mean, we want to be able to impact the grower in all parts of his business, whether it be not just growing the crop, but how he insures it, how he finances it, how he sells it. Um, you know, I, I think that digital transformation touches all elements of that. Um, but the critical component is, is that in agriculture, unfortunately, um, you know, most of the tech, the big players in technology are seed companies or equipment companies or chemical companies. And being that independent player that essentially can guide the grower to the right decision. We're not conflicted. We, we don't care what seed variety or what equipment he uses. We just want to make sure that what we do is what's best for that farmer. And I've always known since I've been a little kid, you know, my, my, my dad's always said, if you do what's best for the farmer, the farmer will do what's best for you. And I think that that's sort of a fundamental thing that we try to take with us when we go out and do business with our, with our partners. You've also got this initiative called Grow More Green. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so, you know, farmers are really upset about the carbon tax because it puts more costs onto their farm. But we're trying to make them think about it in a different way, is that, look, there's an opportunity for you to create more value on your farm and to create a more sustainable operation. And so we're making them think about, look, what are the management decisions that you can make that doesn't cost you more money, that actually makes you more money? And it also can allow you to potentially create better opportunities for the products that you produce. And so I I think now what we're finding, I think in the last couple of months, instead of being angry about the carbon tax, they're moving on and thinking about what can I do um, in order to, to help, you know, help my farm get more value and, you know, utilizing carbon offsets, showcasing how they are sustainable is a really big move for them. And, and, and we're excited again to be a part of that. Dominic Barton was hired by the federal government to look at areas of opportunity for Canada. And one he identified was agriculture. In fact, he, he said that we should become a superpower and we should be able to drive our exports to 75 billion a year. Federal government's actually raised it to 85 billion. Is that possible? Is it possible that Canadian farmers can deliver that kind of food to the world while maintaining sustainability on their farms. Absolutely. This is a call to action right now. And, and, and how you're going to do it, you're going to do it through the digitalization of agriculture. You're, you're, the connectivity goes back to that, that ability to touch that consumer. And I think that, you know, Canada exports most of its products to all other countries. And this is, like you said, it's going to be important, not just to the Canadian consumer, but all consumers. And we have this time-limited opportunity to, to, to grab this op- opportunity by the throat. And, and I think that yeah, um, we don't want to waste it because if we wait too long, um, other um, exporting nations will move in. And, and you, the one thing about digital that, you know, once you have a customer that you're embedded with 
um, through technology or through digital, it's really tough to dislodge. I think that's what um, Canada needs to do when it comes to exporting to um, consumers all around the world. And so um, I, I think we've got a huge opportunity. It's time limited and we've got to take advantage of it. Wade, the consumer's consumed by where their food is sourced. How does deploying your digital solutions enable them to connect directly to the consumer, giving the consumer the power to make informed choices? So we've never, as a farmer, you, we've never had the opportunity to connect with the consumer, right? We, we essentially would grow grain. We would then take it to the elevator, who then would be the connectivity to the food manufacturer, who would then take it to the grocery store, who would then go to the consumer. And, and once we digitalize these farms, we create this connectivity, now we have a path to the consumer. We can tell the story. The consumer wants to have that connection to the grower, but they've never had this path. Yeah, the, the farmer from Saskatchewan is not going to be able to have coffee with the consumer in Toronto, but they're going to have a they're going to have connectivity if they want it. And I think that's going to build um, a lot of confidence. It's going to build a real amount of empowerment in the food supply. And it's going to create value because the consumers will pay more for that. And, and if they pay more, it's going to create more value for the farmer, which will then get more farmers on board. I, I, I think, you know, the, the real opportunity about carbon is going to be the fact that there's going to be value created that will help the digitalization of the farm. And once we do that, that's going to create connectivity to the consumer. And I think it'll make Canada a world leader in this space. You're a global leader selling in Eastern Europe, Russia, and Brazil. What's next in terms of bringing these digital solutions in agriculture? Well, you mean the first way for us is to really connect with that farmer, right? Really help that farmer with his decisions on the farm. But the next piece is to move out into the other verticals. You know, crop insurance, as an example, is a massive industry that's just ripe for disruption. And we can change that. We can help farmers get better crop insurance or even get crop insurance. You know, as a good example, only 10% of the farms in Brazil have crop insurance compared to 90% in North America. And when you don't have crop insurance, you don't get lending. And when you don't have lending, you can't take risks. And if you can't take risks, that means your production doesn't grow. Uh, we want to create that sustainability and connectivity to the consumer. So, but it's built off this foundation of a digitalized farm. So we're Really excited about that opportunity uh, to broaden beyond just the agronomic tools that we've built. Three things I'm going to take away from Wade Barnes' talk today. I love the quote that came from his dad. If you do what's best for the farmer, this farmer will do what's best for you. I think that's a quote we can all take to heart. Is let's create these win-win opportunities. The second thing is that sustainability is already in the DNA of farmers and their desire to pass to the next generation soil that's as good as, if not better, than what they inherited. The third thing is the Canadian brand is world-renowned, and not just through our ability to grow crops, but also through our ability to treat the planet with the respect it deserves. Wade Barnes, thank you for joining me on Chatter That Matters. Thank you for having me. It's been great. What I learned today is sustainability is a matter of choice, not chance. My three guests are testament to that. Michael McCain for going beyond shareholder value to shared values and making sustainability Maple Leaf Canada's North Star. Megan Lewis from WWF Canada, just opening her mind so that every place is a habitat for all living creatures. And Wade Barnes, what your dad taught you, do good by a farmer and farmers will do good by you. 
and you certainly are doing good by farmers in Canada and around the world. It's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. Let's chat soon. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. 